The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is filmmaker and director Stuart Chasimri. We talk about Stuart's upbringing after moving to the UK from Kenya when he was just two years old. We discuss his BAFTA-nominated documentary Black and Scottish and his experiences as a black man in Scotland, plus other projects. And Stuart reflects on the influences of his mum and how her guidance shaped his commitment and drive through everything he does. And as always, there's plenty more. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blether. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt senior debt advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't forget about debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoy this episode, share it, because it's a great help. Cheers. Filmmaker, creator, writer, campaigner, father, partner. You're loads and loads of different things, but you were once just a wee boy mm-hmm. in Kenya. Mm-hmm. How how old were you when you left to go to London? Um, around the age of two, three years old. It's funny that we were looking at pictures and it was me as a one and a half year old in Kenya with with Jean, the two of us sitting, little baby clothes and two puppies beside us. And it's funny because we don't we don't have dogs, but at the time I was told that this we loved these um, little puppies, so that's the only, only image I, I, I remember. Um, and then we moved over in two, two, three years old. So I don't really remember much of of Kenya, which is where we were both born. Um, what I do remember probably from about the age five, mm-hmm. um, coming up to to Scotland. Um, to live um, and it's looking back now that was what that was nine, 1982 nine, 19, sorry 1985 so you imagine what that that was like mm. you know being a a young black but young family my mum being you know she had me fairly young so she she went through qu- uh, quite a lot but obviously she protected me as a young kid so Mm. Good. We'll talk about your mum. Three degrees. So she's obviously that's not. I'm not making a reference to the music act. By the way, she has three university degrees. That's yeah, right. She does. It? Yeah. So obviously, exceptionally switched on and and uh-huh. hardworking and intelligent. What what caused you to to leave Kenya to to head to the UK in the first place? It's it's funny that because the reason I would say we are here is Jean's dad. Jean's dad was an English teacher, and um, he went over to teach English in um, Kenya and Uganda so he met Jean's mum over there mm-hmm. and um, such a big family my, my family is all about education education so mm-hmm. she um, my mum I would say kind of 
tagged along because they'd yeah. moved over to it, the whole family had moved over to the UK and in Africa it's like you know it's all about coming to the UK big education education and mm -hmm. then as they get older you're supposed to go back you know back to the village back to um, Uganda and yeah, as a doctor or a lawyer so they had that mindset so they we came along with them so my mum was in Uganda at the time and then moved over to Kenya um, and yeah she, she that's the reason we were over her, her dad's name was John, John Anderson mm -hmm. so I look at him and go you're the kind of reason that, that we're here he's originally from Dundee and then, then they moved up to Byers Road and lived in Glasgow for a bit. And then I don't know how the hell they ended up in Port Glasgow of all places. But <laughs> but yeah, my mum, um, she had me fairly young. And just, she's just all about education, education, education. Like, mm. just take advantage of what you have here. You know, she'd always say to me, or oh, your cousin, you've hundreds of cousins that would love to be over here. So just had that mentality of you have to be you better to than out. everyone else, yeah. For anybody, in case I haven't mentioned it in my intro, which is recorded after this, but um, we're talking about Jean Johansson, TV presenter, your cousin, um, that, so I interviewed Gina, had her on the podcast and we did it over Zoom and frustratingly the the audio was oh was like done in as can annoyingly can happen. Mm -hmm. um, I and she, I forgot that she had explained that about her dad so her dad went over there to teach. It's so funny that how that's then resulted in both your lives mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and how you've both kind of ended up in, I mean, this different facets of the same industry. It's crazy. I, rem I remember actually, like, so we had uh, my auntie's living room and kitchen. They had like a, I don't know what you call it. It's like a. Like the little, wee one, the wee hatch? Yeah, a little hatch. So they'd pass food through there, right? Oh, and I remember um, Jean, us sitting in the living room and looking into the kitchen, and Jean would stand there as a television presenter and Blue Peter, and here's one I prepared earlier. So mm -hmm. she'd be making something. And she'd have it, and this is the final, <laughs> and it's great. And I would be in the other side with the camcorder filming her. Yeah, I just think that is mad. How that is funny. It's unbelievable how that's trans transpired. Like and I always say, when when somebody follows their instinct, whatever it comes intuitively or whatever comes most natural, that they are basically acting out and pursuing what is a dream that's been given mm -hmm, to them. Mm -hmm. And I always talk about this because when you hear a kid's adamant they want to be a vet or a nurse or a doctor or a teacher or a fireman, I'm like, that kid doesn't really know what that entails yet. Mm -hmm. They so deeply want to mm -hmm. be it. And more often than not, they kind of go and pursue it and yeah. do it. And the whole thing about when you go after your heart's desire, the universe conspires to make it happen. All that, power local yeah. stuff. And it, it can be airy fairy at times where you're like, I think there's something, there's yes. something there it because is. why... As a kid, then would you not have the inclination to be like elbowing her out the way and be like, "No, let me be in front and center. You want to yeah, be the I one." Know, I knew that I wanted to be the one behind the camera, telling the story. Um, you, some you, you've said this before. I've always had the core mission of telling new and untold, diverse stories. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that even then that you wanted to be? I'm sure you were aware of your differences in that mm -hmm. culturally, mm -hmm. but is that something? Did you? actively think this is what I want to do I want to be I want to be the one who's telling the story I would say um, I would say you know see when you're see when you're a kid right you're playing with your friends and you you're looking out and you don't see your skin colour because you're mm -hmm. amongst your friends so 
when I was amongst my white friends, when I would when I would meet another group of um, boys or whatever, um, they would obviously be some racism, and that was when it was like, okay, I'm, I'm black, okay, mm-hmm. I guess. So it wasn't until a lot a lot older that I got fed up, and I was like, people don't understand my culture, people don't understand why I say and do certain things. I was getting to the point where I was getting frustrated, and that probably happened at probably around the age of like nineteen. So before that. Um, I didn't really have any inclination to do that. The film didn't really properly kick in until the the early 20s, but um, that core story, I think, probably was there from a young age because as a young boy, when people don't understand you, you want them to understand you, but what is the best way to explain that as a mm-hmm. young kid? You're not going to sit down with your mates and go, guys, this is what it's like for me. Yeah, You know what I mean? You're still trying to make sense of it yourself, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Because you've described, that's another way you've described yourself when you were younger, as a curious mind. Mm -hmm. Do you think your curiosity was born from curiosity about yourself and then just kind of extrapolated into other fragments of your world? 100%, because because when we'd moved to Glasgow, there wasn't any black people around, but then I started to meet black people in Glasgow. I started to hear them say similar things Mm -hmm. to the point where we didn't even have to discuss it anymore because we knew this is what it was going to be like. I remember the things like guys would come up to you and be like, oh, I'm into Tupac and Biggie and hip-hop music and, you know, you must be into that or you Mm -hmm. must know um, Kabagi or whatever down, he stays in the south side, you must know him, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then when you start to hear that, you go, we've been through some similar things. And even with, with Jean as well, what she would do is people would say to her, you must love this black artist. Mm-hmm. And she would switch it up and say, no, I'm into Blur, I'm into Oasis. And just from a young age, she knew to do that. Whereas with me, I would kind of play along. But she always she she, she knew who she was at a very young mm-hmm. age. Um, so, so, yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say from... From meeting other people, that's when I decided that, you know what, um, there's similar stories, so some some way, somehow, I need to mm-hmm. go out there and share them. Tell them. Your journey to get into that point, very varied. Very into art as a youngster, mm-hmm. but starting off as a musician, mm-hmm. what did that entail? It's funny that, because I don't talk about it. Um, I, I, I was a DJ when I was in my teens. I was... I wanted to get into rap music and I loved most of the rappers in the 90s. And then I started to produce music from DJing and I, you know, when you're DJing with instrumentals, I started to hear songs in my head. And then um, I managed to get this gig through a friend of mine, I think it was the Mobile Awards, and I was putting together music and producing and working with a female artists. And I actually did really, really well. I supported... You guys like Nas and Buster Rhymes and Dizzy Rascal. I went, out, I went on tour throughout the whole of the, the UK. I was at Ministry of Sound and arrived at Ministry of Sound and like 5,000 people standing there and um, Freshers Week gigs. And honestly, like the, the amount of people I, I supported was was amazing. Mm. I, was known, I was known as the SK at the time. And yeah, basically I got into music and then as a young youngster, you want music to, a really cool music video, so I got I got someone to not a production company, but someone who would make videos at the time to make me a music video, and I didn't like it. I just I wanted it to be 
like the music videos I'd seen in the States. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I was like, this, I don't, I need to make it myself. And that's the reason why I picked up a camera. Mm-hmm. You know, actually before that, we were doing um, album covers, CD covers. So setting up an artist and setting up the lighting kind of indirectly started it all off. And it was still, obviously, it was there were stills. And then we moved on to the music video stage. So that was kind of my first foray into wanting to be in front of the camera and mm-hmm. be be someone and I managed to do really well, but at the time there was no Twitter or there was no social media. Yes. So I was, I, was, I, was a bit, I was a bit early at the time. But I think if I'd done the same things now, I th- genuinely think that I would have done really well, but just most of the fact that I had that association with all of these big artists, mm-hmm. you know. You've spoken about, about how you how you shoot things, about the way they light. That's things graded, I think maybe he's talking about. I don't know what that actually uh-huh. means. And I was like, God, man, you must have went through some some rigorous and and extensive training and courses mm-hmm. to learn these things. But it's not the case, is it? No, it's all everything I've done is all self taught, and that comes from from my mum. And I always say to people out there, like, it's all online. Everything is online, and the beautiful thing about creatives is they're happy to share how they do things. So. That, I would say I got into that properly about 10 years ago. But before that, I was a digital designer designing for Nike and Puma and BT, BBC. I was a lead designer for um, a couple of um, creative design um, companies. And then for Lloyds Banking Group and Clydesdale, I was was the top guy. You know, Mm -hmm. I was the last point of contact. So... I've had that career as well. That's how I made money before. And then mm. I just took the plunge and went, you know what, forget this. I need to make black and Scottish though. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not, it's definitely not money and prestige then that motivates you. It's just, is it your, because people will be listening. There might be somebody listening who's aspiring to get to that position. They're like, what? You just, what? You just chucked it and walked I did, away? I did, yeah. But then, so that I suppose is highlights your, your curiosity taking yeah. Precedent or priority over everything. I, I, I tell you honestly, as a, I was a contractor, and honestly, financially, I was absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. You know, had no issues there. And then moving into television, you know, you have to get the commissions. It takes it takes months, and then it's in the installments, and yeah. it's definitely not the same. But I've had to stick. I've thought a few times to go back before, but. I had to. I just had to stick to it because mm-hmm. it isn't. It isn't about money because when you get messages and emails and from from mums and people telling you what the documentary has done, that you mm-hmm. can't put a price in that, can you? We'll talk about black and Scottish. Um, one thing I do want to highlight: your mum once said to you, "You're going to have to work five times harder than the white people because they will not look at you until you are an exceptional human That's being." The one, yeah. Has, do those words just always ring in your ears when you, you start doing something you think I need to first of all obviously work exceptionally hard but to, to sort of go the distance to, to prove yourself do you still feel that need to oh, prove yourself? Definitely. I, do, I won't say that to my kids because yeah. then instantly you're making them think well what's the reason but mm-hmm. 100% and the reason she was saying that is because um, just she said to me imagine being a woman in the 80s in techno in tech because she's a computer programmer and imagine being black mm-hmm. and imagine being young. Oh, yeah. She's like, I've watched people who I was much better at that get promotions. And yeah. so she knew 
that it was so she just basically passed that on to me and when mm-hmm. you're and when your mum tells you that at a young age you ask yourself well why is that and then you understand about racism at a young age and then you go right do you know what i'm going to work and that's the reason why mm-hmm. you know i'd finish work and come back and start working on something till like midnight every night yeah. just i'm absolutely obsessed with obsessed with creating and obsessed with with doing well um, and she's done really well. My my younger brothers, I've got three younger brothers, and one was a Celtic uh, coach, and then he went over to, to live in the states as a as a scout, mm-hmm. and now lives over there and is a massive soccer coach. And then my two one's got a, one got a scholarship, sports scholarship, wow. and then the other is now studying to be a lawyer. So she's got four four boys who have done extremely well. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to her statistically in London. Four boys and growing up with a with a single mum. Yeah, that does not happen. It's very rare. Do you think being out of that London bubble? Do you think you might have ended up going down a different path if you had been down there? Well, it's, it's a funny, it's a good question because they didn't, they didn't, because so my younger brother who's who's thirty three, he has a Scottish accent like me. He grew yeah. up in Scotland, whereas my younger two brothers grew up in London. But by that point, my mum was established and doing well. Yeah, you see, so it's a, you just never know. But then, going down to London from the outside looking in as a black Scot, I'm I go down there and I, I'm I'm scared at times. Aye, I'm looking at it like, oh my god, look at these like these guys will, will stab you in a second. You can't look at someone. Obviously, I'm generalising. Yeah, you okay. know, I maybe. Yeah. Talking about accents, because remember we spoke about this on the phone yeah, the did, other day? Yeah. We did, yeah. And it's such a contentious one where I was like tongue-in-cheek saying I just look down on people who are Scottish and they pick up the accents of other places. Like if they've been living in America and all of a sudden you've got American twang, I'm yeah. like, what a fucking asshole. Like, I know, what are you doing? I'm not, I mean, there's certain actors I can think of. I'm not going to name them. Mm-hmm. Don't want to. I know, I know a few of them. <laughs> um, but Butler, maybe. <laughs> but we, we, so as we were talking about it though, and, and there is, we, we kind of did get sort of deeper into it and talking about identity and because that is an immediate representation of who you are. You hear how somebody speaks and you already have a snapshot of mm-hmm. what their life was like or, or you know what their sort of world looks like. Mm-hmm. And we got talking about black Scottish people who are mm-hmm. reluctant to use the Scottish mm-hmm. accent mm-hmm. and I had never really considered it. But mm-hmm. what was your theory, if you don't mind recapping, about mm-hmm. feeling out of place or feeling as if this isn't mine to use? Yes. I would say when, when I was uh, a rapper, I would say... You know, do you know what it is, right? Is there's no black, there's hardly sorry, there's hardly any black people in Scotland, so we don't have our colloquialism, we yeah. don't have our mm-hmm. our slang, or you know, it's all in London or it's all in the states. So it's even in black and Scottish. I think we mentioned this. We we looked upon the America and England and wanted to be like them. So yeah. I found myself veering down that route. And friends of mine, mm-hmm. I never really. It's funny, and it was one guy who was a proper, you know, I think it's from Drum Chapel. You know, you yeah. listen to him, and he, he was so to us being from Africa, he was born here. And the ones actually that were born here, mm-hmm. no issues. But he then, it's all about identity. You don't know who you are, yeah. um, and it's still happening to this day. I see them all, and community, black communities, and they just, you know, they don't, not that they don't know who they are, but they clearly don't fully identify as Scottish. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I can. I'm not saying I understand this and I can relate. I can't, but I can. I can get it. Like it makes sense to me. Like you kind of would would feel as if you don't fit because, in a sense, there's never fully been a space created. Oh, yeah. Whether that's from people collectively being like, no, no, this is this is you. You're you have your part in our mm-hmm. sort of jigsaw mm-hmm. uh, in in this country. Um, on Black and Scottish, your BBC documentary, I watched it and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm, uh, and I would like to implore the BBC to put it back on iPlayer mm-hmm, or something because mm-hmm. you can't get it anywhere. No, you can't. And but it's be, it's been um, repeated like thirteen times. You know, it was I, I missed it. It was on in October, but I was on holiday. Were you? And I, then I missed it because it said last screened. I was like, you bastard! That was like the day before I got back, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and I didn't realise. Um, it was BAFTA nominated and uh, featuring prominent black Scots from all generations gathering their perspectives and what it's like to be black and Scottish. Mm-hmm. Your reason for creating it was was it because you kind of wanted to show an example to your, your kids yeah, of, that's it, that's you that's know, that. there are examples? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Because growing up, I didn't have any black role models at all. Mm. And... I knew there were exceptional black people in Scotland and going down to London, even in Scotland, it was always, I didn't know, all the time I didn't know there was black people in Scotland, I didn't know there was black people in Scotland. So that was one of the reasons. Another reason was seeing my daughter not identify as black at a a young age. Mm -hmm. It was a case of, right, I need, you know, there's, there's a gene, there's Vanessa Canby, there's, you know, there's Jeff Palmer. And I knew that, putting this show t- together even if 10 people watched it I knew that my daughter would be able to watch that and go mm-hmm. she looks just like me look at that mixed race woman with her big afro out she sounds a, just like me she sounds just like me she's like and look at what she's doing mm-hmm. like that was that was exciting that that I knew I'd done my job then and, and then now well n- next year it's officially going to be in the Scottish school curriculum schools mm-hmm. are watching wow, it wow that's amazing so every kid in Scotland is going to watch this documentary and yeah. schools have contacted me telling me people have contacted me saying oh my son have watched Black and Scottish in school so mm-hmm. didn't only do it for my kids it's everyone's going to watch it yeah it's a it's a, a gift for, for people mm-hmm. coming through you'd hope things would be easier um, for them they'll never be easy but easier anyway than mm-hmm. past generations mm-hmm. um, when I watched it I was I was really I don't know the right words because I don't want to speak out of turn here I felt really touched mm-hmm. in a sense in the sense where it, it made me stop and go fuck man I, what because I mean why would that ever occur to me because if that's not my lived experience mm-hmm. and there was certain things where I'm like aye god that makes a lot of sense and mm-hmm. I thought it was absolutely amazing what I really loved about it you often the most conventional way of getting a TV project off the ground is you go you write the brief, you approach the commissioner, you pitch for it, whatever. You went the other way around, and totally you just created the trailer. That's what I did. I created the trailer. I got booked a place in Citizen M. Because originally I wanted it to be your everyday people, nurses and, mm-hmm. you know. like So I shot with a, an art, a couple of art students and I just went ahead and made it. So indirectly I was teaching myself how to set up an interview, but it was just me and my own. Mm. And because I'm a designer as well, I was putting together a logo and a, I shot a, a full trailer piece. And and then, I knew, you know, 
I printed it all out and showed the video and went to one of the BBC commissioners and she was just watching it. You know, when I seen her just sit there and watch it, she's like, I love that, I love this. Mm. You know, two weeks later it was it, it was commissioned and I've continued to do that to, to this day. Yeah. yeah, I just think it's putting something in a doc, putting together a montage of, of images or putting together some kind of pitch um, is great, but when they can actually watch it and see it, then it, they know that, oh, he must have this because look what he's done on his own. Imagine what it'd be like with a production company. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's it's a great way. It's obviously not always feasible um, to be done, but it, as you say, watching something is a very different experience yeah, to, of course. to just reading it. Um, some some really fantastic contributors are on the show. Um, mm-hmm. One who I'd really like to talk about, who plays Eric on Sex Education, oh, yeah. people know him. Shruti is it Gatwa. Shruti Gatwa? Yeah. So he moved from Rwanda to Dunfermline mm-hmm. and then can I think seemed to be between Dunfermline and Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Being in Dunfermline in the mid 90s, there's not going to be many black no, people. None, he said there was none. Really? Wow. None. That's, um, I, I, I thought it was a real shame hearing about some of his experiences, but then when, I think when you got in touch with him, he absolutely jumped at a chance I to take yeah. part, didn't he? Oh, he did. He did. It was, he was shooting um, uh, sex education in Wales. They let him change his shooting day, didn't they? they so did. he could come. They did, yeah. That's yeah. great. They, I just thought that was amazing because he'd said, I have never worked in Scotland ever. And, you know, the fact that you contacted me, uh, was our researcher that contacted him and he spoke to Net- they spoke to Netflix and Net- Netflix said, yeah, it's fine, you can take the day off. Yeah. Fly up for the day. So we flew him up and he left that, that, that same night. That's um, brilliant. Just to do that, and he was oh, he was the nicest guy. On I interviewed him for about two and a half hours. Really, and he he just you could see him in the documentary. He just opened up. He was happy to like share. Smile in his oh, face. He was that. He was he was ah oh, he was an ama- amazing guy, and we're still in contact to this to this day. I remember watching. I don't know if you've seen the meme. It's Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he's like pointing at the TV. Mm-hmm. That was me when he had a Scottish accent. I was like, what? Because I'd been watching Sex Education. I had absolutely no idea that he was actually Scottish. And he, sorry, even in saying that with, with Shooty, when I spoke to him, obviously he's got he's got like kind of like an English accent, a very soft, very, very soft Scottish accent. But when I spoke to him, he mm-hmm. said, you're the first proper black Scot I've spoken to. And then I could hear the Scottish accent. Oh, I was mad. like, that is unbelievable. But then when he went, he sat in the chair, mm-hmm. it changed. Soft. So it's, it's weird. It's like, I think you need to see yourself to go, do you know, I think he was thinking to himself, I can be, I really can be myself. Mm-hmm. And then I could hear the accent. I was like, this is fascinating. You've obviously got your cousin, Jean. I mean, Jean's career... Uh, in itself is absolutely Amazing. incredible especially when when she started out that really was she was the first she was first black woman to be coming from Scotland and mm-hmm. to go and do what she did mm-hmm. did do, do you look to each other as a source of like inspiration or or sort of I don't want to say inspiration but yeah I suppose you know what I mean mm-hmm. I know what you mean yeah I would say at a later stage because at a young age I was just used to it so 18, 19 she was doing she was working for the Disney Channel Disney presenter then there was a thing called You Cool she was a presenter on that so it was just natural to see Jean doing that you know but it wasn't until a later stage she started to give me a bit more advice um, and 
yeah, definitely inspired. inspired. She, she's taught me a lot within this industry. You know, as mm-hmm. I first started out, people uh, would yeah. ask me to do this and do that. Can you come in this as a panel? Can you come in this show? And I'd be like, yeah, of course. Yeah, let me do it. And then she t- said to me, look, Stuart, people are going to start to exploit and take advantage of you. Don't say yes to anything. Yeah. And then I would continue to say yes, but I totally understand what she means now because people are contacting me all over. Take the piss, yeah, yeah, they do. They do. Definitely is kind of exploitation there to say we spoke to him. Yeah, I think I've got a wee bit of similarity with you there um, in that I people take the piss, you say yes to things and then you realise, but you learn. And, but you, you are, you'll be warned. Mm-hmm. But for me, because you, so you're someone who learns on the job and the mm-hmm. task you learn doing mm-hmm. it, and I'm I'm very much the exact same. I'm better mm-hmm. learning things as I go, and that's another thing you can you can tell me a hundred times, don't touch that; it's roasting. But mm-hmm. I'm only going to learn it until I touch exactly. it, and burn my fingers. How roasting is it? <laughs> I, I know. I mean, what, what level of roasting are we talking here? You're like, fuck it, it is very hot. My fingers have been burned. Yeah. Uh, to be BAFTA nominated for best director is just incredible mm-hmm. for your first. And the fact that you've just gone and done it all yourself. Yeah, it's I couldn't I could I couldn't believe it. And I, I generally and then when I seen the audience award one as well, I was like, This is absolute madness. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I never once thought about BAFTA before. I did not have a clue about about that. I just yeah. knew I wanted to make it. And then it just did so well and I was shocked. I generally was like, This is crazy. Suppose when when something comes completely from the heart then it, yeah. its authenticity is yeah. is gonna be Absolutely shining out of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. You described it as a seminal defining film, mm-hmm. gathering prominent black Scots for all generations, mm-hmm. dedicating it to your kids and their generation mm-hmm. so they can grow up with a clear sense of black and Scottish identity. Mm-hmm. Now, you said it was well received and it presented an undeniably positive narrative on race in Scotland, and the response was largely positive. It's a shame that we actually have to discuss this, but uh-huh. you know, I said the large majority of the comments in social media were racist. Oh, uh, racist, so sorry. So many the BBC had to switch the comments off. Mm-hmm. Things like, "There's no such thing as black and Scottish. Mm-hmm. You're not Scottish." Now, Voltaire said, "We look to Scotland for all our ideas of civilization." Mm-hmm. I feel like that completely fucking contradicts that. Mm-hmm. No, it was the so upsetting. Like some some of the ones were. There was one where my, I said that my daughter wished she was white at the age of like five, six mm-hmm. years old and then people would come and say to me, well, she's got a good head on her shoulders, you know, and I was like, oh, that, so I was, yeah, I was a column, columnist and, you know, there's a few columns for, I think it's Glasgow Live, I spoke, spoke about that. And then there was, there was um, so the comments went out on YouTube, uh, I don't know, there was a hell of a lot of comments and and then I noticed that they turned it off because the likes and dislikes were the exact same, you know. Imagine being, imagine that was your, like, that was your, your way of existing. As much as, like, it makes you feel really, I can't even imagine how you feel. It makes me I feel. I felt really bad because, because it, 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 you think about it, right? So the BBC are like, okay, we're going to turn the comments off, but why did you turn the comments off? Mm. Why would you do something like that? Like, why not show how... Yeah. It says a lot, and to this day, I think that was wrong, them turning those comments off. The whole point is for people to learn. So Mm -hmm. people go there and see comments, and then you go on other BBC Scotland um, shows on on YouTube and their comments are open. So that, that hurt me even more. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, that did hurt me a bit more because they are a corporation, 
you know, they should be teaching our others. So yeah. having that amount of, of dislikes and sheer racism online is just so upsetting. So it says a lot about, I think it says a lot about BB, the BBC, not most of the BBC, but yeah. not. it's a funny one. It's a, it's like a culture, it's culturally ingrained in it. There's mm-hmm. always a denial of culpability. Like when, um, let's say, football fans of a club Oh fuck's sake! This is a pure minefield in it because mm-hmm. you're like, what team do you see? Made up United. Mm-hmm. The made up United fans go and do something that's pretty reprehensible, mm-hmm. or they cause trouble. And the stock response is, well, they're they not made up United fans. You're like, well, he's wearing a fucking made up United top. Uh, he's singing made up United songs, exactly, and he's following made up United uh, to another country. Mm-hmm. What more must he do to be a fan? So it's like this denial of oh, it's, and and we we racism and stuff. It's like oh, they, you know, we're the best wee country in the world, and uh, no, they they are no real Scots. Like no, they are, they are, and they're, they're inextricably linked and ingrained mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. fabric of this society. Mm-hmm. And until you start acknowledging it mm-hmm. and shining a mirror up to things, because so like see when the the George Floyd thing happened or um, I remember there was a clip of a, a, a woman in Birmingham who shouted racist abuse at a bouncer who had mm-hmm. put her out and she spat at him mm-hmm. now my first reaction is horror like mm-hmm. absolute unequivocal horror at somebody doing that but then you read the reactions of black people and, and they'll be saying like well that's normal Standard. and I'm like well why am I so horrified then and it's like because it's happening but it's it's tucked away and it's like no no that that's not taking place so that's why I as I like to consider myself a semi-decent person yeah, would be speechless at that mm-hmm. whereas it is actually happening so see those YouTube comments mm-hmm. if I had read them I would have been horrified mm-hmm. but, but I'm not seeing them because they're taken away exactly there's there's it's great. It's great what you said. And and things that somebody just mentioned there, um, there was I'd, I'd read somewhere. I don't know who it was. Some prominent black black person in London, and he was talking about racism. And he said, "What to do is go and speak to any black person in the UK and ask him what their harrowing racist racism story is." Mm. Now, there's so much depth in that because automatically he knew that they've all experienced racism mm-hmm. in several instances of racism so he's asking them what and the hierarchy in the sense of what's your most harrowing yeah. that tells you everything yeah it tells you because black people we i don't need to know what a black person is going through in birmingham i already do know that yeah. or in whatever other city so that just tell, tells you <laughs> and the standard to us it's like normal yeah, and I've got a horrible, sad feeling that if you ask somebody that question, they probably would look up and have to think about exactly. it. Exactly. And, and have to rank them you. and go, hmm. Let me see, was it the one that, that spat in my face or was it, well, Shooty was telling, the, the cut kilns were telling me people were at, were at the door with knives. Bash, I spoke to the Bash the Entertainer and he was telling me some crazy stories as well over in where he was brought up drum chapel but it's standard but like when you hear it we our reply isn't yeah. oh my god that's tragic it's like oh that that was worse than than mine god <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's kind of laughing and stuff but horrendous bash mm-hmm. um this episode will probably be out before the interview with bash mm-hmm. um i have to kind of hold on to that for a while for okay for some reasons um basically tenants are announcing the winner of a thing 
and he and I spoke about it, so I've agreed to get a hold on to it. Hold on to it. So people won't have heard the Bash interview by this as they're listening to this, or most won't have anyway. What was your experience working with him? Because Bash moved to London from the Democratic Republic of Congo, mm-hmm. moved up to Glasgow, and hasn't really had it easy. He started creating viral videos for anyone who's not aware of him mm-hmm. and is now working with the NFL and KFC and he was telling me he's got a black card at KFC yep. he's £250 uh, worth of food a day yeah I know all about that so I was like mate why are we still here like why are we sitting here why are we not at KFC right now <laughs> yeah no I've seen him with that black card he takes him back the the funny one was um uh, he when he's going to parties he would order food KFC yeah. to the parties right Loads. and he invite him to every party yeah, it would be amazing and he there's a few branches there's a few um KFC restaurants that when he walks in they know what's they know what's, what's about to go what's about <laughs> to go down. <laughs> he was saying that like some there's loads where he's first went in in Glasgow and they've never seen the black car. I did not know if such mm-hmm. a thing existed. And he was saying that they'll be like, Wait, what? And then they'll go, What who are you? Are you some sort of celebrity or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I said that what he should do is give the card to his mum mm-hmm. and then get her to order. And when they ask, just be like, Sorry, I can't tell you that. Just mm-hmm. to kind of fuck with them a wee bit. Yeah, to mess with them and go, uh, oh, you're gonna have to Google me. Government business. Mm-hmm. Um, just give me a, just give me that, that sandwich right now. Give you my ten zing and tower meals <laughs> and just <laughs> mind your own business, you nosy bastard. <laughs> Did done. you your company create anything? Did you f- was that founded post Black and Scottish? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was as a contractor for as a designer. Um, yeah, that that been going for, since probably going for the last eight years. So that's how that company was established. But as a because um, I am a designer, I can edit, I'm color grading, I'm making music, making films. I can, I just felt like, do you know what? Not that I can create anything, but I knew that I, I know what I can create. But if mm-hmm. I bring other people in with other skill sets as a company, yeah. we can potentially create. Mm-hmm. Can do loads of yeah. things. You one of your your next things that's coming out. I'm really excited about this. Black and Northern Irish. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. That is. I watched the trailer for it, and of course, I'm aware that black people exist in Northern Ireland. Like I wasn't born last week. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't spring to mind when I picture someone from Northern Ireland yeah, and to see these black people with that accent was like, wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. Like e- this, these thick Northern Irish accents. Even me as a as a black Scot going over there and speaking to them all, I was yeah. like, what did they just say? There was one guy, Tommy McCarthy, European boxer, and he was the one like, you know, he was a st- strong accent. Mm-hmm. But from meet, meeting all of them, it's honestly, we, we, we're cutting it. We're cutting it with an actor, Colin Salmon, who was in all, most of the James Bond movies, um, and and just listening to the stories, they were very similar to, very similar. But you could tell that even when you go to, to to Belfast, you could tell you know you see the flags and everything. Yeah. So you imagine having that sectarianism, and then obviously being black. So people would say. Um, are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? And we ask them their name, and there's a thing over there. And once they hear your surname, they know what where you're from, but like Catholic or Protestant. But yeah. then a lot of them would have African surnames. So I would ask them about the sectarianism, and they would say, "Look, we're black. We've already got our issues. So imagine <laughs> yeah. being black and a Catholic. Imagine what that's like." I know. But um, it's a it's a one hour documentary. It's 
it's definitely a, a step up from black and Scottish, just the way we shot it and our approach to it. Black and Scottish was had people singing, but we, we were at the Titanic Belfast, we were at um, Tommy McCarthy's gym, we were at the Mac Theatre, we were all over the place. So there's a lot of like actuality as what well. So you get to see these people mm-hmm. doing their thing and going over there. The funny thing was, is um, when we shot at the Titanic Belfast that day, all these black people arrived and it was the first time all of these black people came together as a community, mm. like the first time wow. ever. And they all, they're all now in a WhatsApp group. That's and amazing. it was me, it was our team that had done that. They'd never met each other. Mm. And I just thought that was fascinating. We've indirectly co- created a, a community. Yeah. Do you have a release date for it yet? Not yet. We're actually just finalising the edit just now. And basically we got the BBC commission, we got the, ha- but they'd said to us, I'm going to give you half an hour for, um, on a Friday Friday evening, 10.30. And we just went, you know, we've shot 12 hours worth of footage. This is an hour long or a feature documentary because there's a lot more to say mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. And we were just like, do you know what? We we, we can't take that. We, do, we can't do it. We need to release it on our own. So we um, funded it ourselves, didn't take any payment and just went ahead and and um, made it. So that's the reason why it's taking a lot longer. Mm. Um, but we're putting it, I'm going down to actually shoot with Colin for the intro because he, he's, he's, his, his kids are black and Northern Irish. So hopefully... You, the trailer, the, the new trailer for it should be out in the next couple of weeks and we're looking at maybe January because one of the main things that we wanted to do was not release it in Black History Month in October. Mm-hmm. We said we are not doing that because if you notice, Black and Scottish was out October, Black History Month, Bashes yeah. was out, you know. As if like I will throw them a bone. There you go. I say that all the time and I said, you know what? Like give them I'm, something. Give them something. Like, the you know, the work that you're working on... Um, Imagine there was a specific month where they're like, well, in this month is you the best You can release time. it in 420. Yeah, in 420, but you can't you can, um, release it any other time of the year. So yeah. we decided that, no, we're not going to release it in, in October. We're going to release it whenever we want. And we're going to... Quite right. So what's happened now is we've now got the BBC and ITV interested in it. Nice. Um, we're going to be speaking to Netflix and, and Amazon. Yeah, I'm currently working with Amazon just now, so yeah. I'll kind of throw that in there as mm-hmm. well. That is a yeah. I hadn't considered that for anybody wondering what the four twenty reference was. I'm working on a documentary about why cannabis should be legalized for medicinal mm-hmm. or decriminalized for medicinal purposes, and that is true. If they were like, yeah, well, you can have it on this little date. It's like, nah. I mean, we all due respect, but fuck you. Yeah, no. Like, we're not we, we zero respect. Fuck you. Like, yeah. you can't just put it in this wee thing and then go. That's it. We'll, we'll toss you a wee a wee thing. Man, there you go. Good, good lad. Good, yeah, exactly. And, and also, that's obviously for linear television. Yeah. Which will then go on one of the streaming services in the UK, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, I'd love people in. Australia, Japan and anywhere yeah. else in the world and, and when you're releasing something let's say on YouTube Originals or if it's on Netflix they don't go you know you can release it it's always in the ca- catalogue yeah. you know it's always there uh-huh. and there's, you can watch it at any time why are you giving people the opportunity to just watch it in Black History Month so there's there's a lot in, in that you know mm-hmm. and also I've seen a snippet of um 
your documentary and just I'm going to switch it up just for the listeners out there. It's unbelievable what Sean's doing, so I can't wait to to see that as well. That'll be all right. It's um, my narcissism comes to the fore. I get to watch myself on screen. That's all I really care about. It's not actually yeah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, for MD, I think I'm being serious. I'm absolutely am. No, I'm I'm not obviously. I watched it was very good and also yeah. um, I heard your TV voice and I remember when I had to do my TV <laughs> voice for um, for Black and Scottish and uh, it's just like oh, what's, what's you're like, it who like? is that who yeah, is and it? then you watch yourself and you're like God I was looking at myself and God I'm so thin I'm like, only putting some weight you're not thinking about what I'm actually saying I'm like I know it's funny <laughs> and you're like how's my hair looking here <laughs> and it's and it up my calories a wee yeah, bit exactly. it's funny that like how it, I, if you've um, if you get any self image issues don't don't watch yourself back yeah, on the camera. Yeah, please don't. Um, I'm about to wind myself up here, and and I fully appreciate that it will be far more difficult for you. But it would just be ridiculous not to touch on it. But as we kind of have spoken about racism in Scotland, um, you've said that you didn't become fully fully aware you were black until an adult shouted racial abuse as a kid. That's horrendous. You said about high school in Glasgow and your history class with two year so-called yeah. pals yeah. Um, drawing a picture of the KKK on horseback uh-huh, uh-huh. that's fuck all funny about that mm-hmm. at college being told you were an exceptional artist but having a teacher that wouldn't engage with you she yeah. got sacked yeah what did she say she just felt like why is this person why is this b- black kid trying to be an artist fucking you know what is that all about you will not succeed in that there'll be other roles other mm. roles for you and she just, uh, just, you know, just passed by me. And Said you were like lucky shit. to be there. Exactly. Uh, you becoming a lead designer for a major bank, introduced your team on the first day and later found out a couple of the designers didn't want to be led by a no, black man. They didn't. What the fuck? I know. They just they, they didn't want to do it. And like, okay, we need to have a team meeting and uh, I don't want to have the team meeting. Bro. And the same funny thing is, is that the, the boss found out but didn't, you guys can't do that that's terrible I'm thinking no you should be getting arse and neck to the door with your belongings following you shortly after exactly exactly but I wasn't I wasn't surprised have you seen um, the four part documentary series on Barack Obama's rise to office on Sky uh huh phenomenal Mm -hmm. and there was a segment where um, I think Barack Obama was addressing Congress or whatever, the Senate, whatever it was, mm-hmm. about the need for universal health care. Mm-hmm. And like one of the congressmen or senators from South Carolina shouted out, You lie, mm-hmm. and like completely disrupted him as he was speaking. And he, Obama quite graciously just looked over it and continued talking. And that was dissected and explained of the significance of that. So when, with it being President Nixon for the Watergate scandal, Mm-hmm. Probably one of he eventually had to resign, did he not? He was impeached yeah. and stuff. Probably one of the biggest scandals of all time that we know of, anyway, in American politics. Mm-hmm. And when he was addressing, again, I can't remember, I don't know if it's Congress or the Senate. Nobody said that word. No, mm-hmm. they, they, they kind of showed them that respect. And there was a massive uproar to the point the Republican Party or the GOP were like you fucking apologise publicly mm-hmm. now because even they accepted it. But it was dissected and it was shown that. Here's somebody who grew up in the South in America and in real privilege to in a bygone era because the guy's like maybe he's 50s and mm-hmm. he's 60s and this was like 10 years ago or whatever. And it was like, it's not just that he... And that was why a lot of them kind of just went against Obama 
the, the policies made sense, the proposals made sense, but they were like, I am not having a black man who's beneath me and their their eyes tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that, hearing that about those guys in the bank, it's like you've probably been brought up a certain way by a, another cerebrally impaired mm-hmm. family member mm-hmm. and, and they've just got this ingrained thing of, no, you're no better than me. And, and they've got this superiority complex completely unjustified. And then they're going, no, nah, I'm just not having it. Yeah, well, well, it's fun. They, they, they say that with, with white supremacy, they said what the genius, the genius thing that they did is they took their working class or they took the people to them, because you know there's hierarchy within the white community as yeah. well, but they took the people at the bottom and told them that they are better than black people. Yeah. So when you've got everyone thinking the same, yeah. even if that black person is more intelligent or educated, they will always still think that that is all that has been ingrained and mm. that's been ingrained that that way of thinking. So that that's why it makes sense. It doesn't matter if they're I don't know a homeless person or someone on you know. I'm not saying. I think you no, know. I, th- what I, mean. I, I completely know what you mean. No, I do completely know what you mean. And I think mm-hmm. everybody listening. So I don't think that could be um, misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. I, I do understand what you mean. That hierarchical thing. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, it's 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 very annoying and to go back to the the quote in Voltaire, you know, people saying we look to Scotland for ideas of civilization. It's like really? Mm. No, no, <laughs> I, I think, think so. I think I think um I don't know. I don't want to really get into the whole slave trade in Scotland many years ago. God, I don't that's, I don't, I don't that's wanna, a whole one hour conversation a, on its exactly. own, isn't it? I don't want to get into that, but at the same time it's 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 uh how much are you actually doing for that? Don't get me wrong, there's not that many um, people of colour in the UK, but there's enough to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And Scotland's very good at saying, oh, we, we... I was actually thinking about this the other day, we, like some people said to me, oh, we didn't know that there was racism still existed. And ah, we're like, fuck and, off. And you're like, well, how would you know? Have you spoken to the black community or what yeah. like, community? How would you... Have you mm-hmm. been into the inner cities or have you... You know, institutional racism. Have you spoken to people like me who? How how would you honestly know that? Yeah, I mean, I I love Scotland. I am Scottish. I've I've lived here. I've lived in England. Uh, I've lived in Spain for for so many years, mm-hmm. and I love it. I, I love my country, but I also dislike it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I dislike and wish would change is the whole the sort of f- false. An, an an insincere, what us? No, like yeah. plain plain dumb. Yeah. It's always like, can I keep blaming everything on England? Mm-hmm. Can I blame everything on the Union Jack? Mm-hmm. There comes a point where we have to be honest to ourselves and be mm-hmm. like, no, well, hold on a minute. You know, what part did we play? And people go, oh, it wasn't me. I know it wasn't you. I'm not saying you went to Africa and uh, an African country and mm-hmm. took people or brought people back mm-hmm. here. I'm not saying you did, but your f- complete failure to acknowledge it, kind of. It nails our feet to the ground. We can't really move forward or, or to be like, no, no, that's no us. Like that isn't Scotland. That's that's a British thing. Mm-hmm. See, this is why we need to be independent. You're like, mm-hmm. nah, no, no, nah, no. Nah, you need to be a, far more honest with yourself. Like, this country can be a racist hellhole at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, hundred percent. I totally, totally agree with you. Um, and for people listening, I absolutely love Scotland. I, I really do. I'm the first to 
to speak about it and, and, and promote it and proud to be a, a black Scot but at the same time I know that there is an overhanging history that has not been addressed fully and there has been people that have said to me look but we didn't do it but we didn't do it and it's like well you need to know what's happened you need to know why things exist in Scotland mm. you know how the how the money has been made Tate and Lyle for example one of the biggest um, companies the, sh- the sugar companies mm. um, taken from from Jamaica that's how they built built their company you know off the mm. back of that and yet you know milk and two sugars you're just not even thinking about it but not yeah. realising that's the reason why these guys are so successful mm-hmm. right you've got a multi-billion pound company yeah. and you go sorry no that was people before us like mm, yeah yeah it doesn't completely absolve you yeah exactly that's true good point but in a, in a, and to go back to a lighter note and in spite of so many of these barriers and awful people still thriving I mean the, the project you're working on with Amazon yeah Amazon that's Prime. a big one yeah Talk me through that. That was unbelievable. That was, um, and I have to give big up Screen Scotland. Um, uh, one of the guys there, David Smith, who's always supported me, and and he just said to me, "Look, there's someone that wants to speak to you about a project. I don't really want to go. To, he's like, I don't want to go into it." And then next thing, it's Douglas McKinnon, who is a director who's responsible for things like Line of Duty, Sherlock Holmes, and uh, all Good Omens, and. Mm all of this so he contacted me and just said look you're a bit, um, a director I'd love to work with you you know I want to get you on board there's this thing called the Nancy Boys I would love you to make the making of and if we can there's good omens too possibly get you in a second unit director and I was like what the hell is going mm. on <laughs> and then a few months had passed and then the production company contacted me and they're like we would love you to work in this because we feel like it's a 95% um, black cast and we feel like you're the person to kind of help tell their stories mm. and, and tell the story of Anansi as well and that's what that's within the behind the scenes and then we want you to do the promotional work as well so I've started work, working on that I've been on set first stage studios in Edinburgh and uh, uh, they've, they've, they've built the Brixton Street they've built parts of Jamaica they're using this technology that they used in the Mandalorian um, and it's just when I was there I was like oh my god this is the the COVID pro, the, the money for the COVID protocol is in its millions that's, you know it's yeah, huge that's probably just a wee chunk of change exactly so so there's some really good actors on it and I'm just so happy to be working on it and just mm. having those conversations with Amazon and and it's just like it's a it's, it's surreal at times, but um, I'm re- very happy I'm working on it for the next six months. And also within that, I started a diverse company called Re- Reframe, is the diverse talent tool, and ten of them are now working on this Amazon project, all getting paid a very good amount. So I've been responsible f- for that, and they're just like, we'll take the talent, even if they live in London, we'll pay for their accommodation and travel and everything, mm-hmm. like. Just we we want people of color behind the camera. Yeah, that's good. And I'm like, this is so good. This is exactly what we're looking for. It's like trickle economic trickle down economics. If it was actually a thing that actually did work, no, that's great. Yeah. That's that's amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the things you've been working on. Mm-hmm. I, I I would suggest as well that for the fact that they've sought you out, and I've said this to you before, the fact that they sought you out, 
you've then gone and done the job that you've done it's been such a great success next time they'll be like we know exactly that's it who we're looking for that's exactly right and I think from completing that and through the company create anything I think completing that having that on the in the list will Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully it's like, do you want to work on the next one? Or yeah. as a production company, a small production company in Scot- in Scotland, it's, it is a big contract. It's something I'm very, very proud of. And, and it's an international piece. And there's another international piece I'm working on. Um, so that's, I'm very, very lucky, I think. What do you call that thing when somebody clicks the thing and goes, action? Uh, it's a clapperboard. 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 I'm available to be the clapperboard uh, guy. <laughs> Five grand a week expenses. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's Amazon. The, they've got hundreds they, of money. They, they, they have. They have. They have got a lot of money. Yeah. So just to do clapperboard. I'm, I'm but, the only guy for this job. It has to be me. That's what we say to them. Yeah, and there's there's extra work happening, and and you know it's all all people of color just go out there and apply to to work on it. It's mm-hmm. it's quite a good bit of money for it for for 12 hours work but you don't work the 12 hours but right. you just sit about and eat just stuff. sit about and be someone that looks like you live in the street of Brick, streets of Brixton I, um, I get asked I can't even remember how this came about right but I get asked did I want to be an extra in an advert for EE right and they were filming it in Leith in 2019 right. I was like aye fuck it that'll be quite fun went through Edinburgh pure early sat about for hours that's it then got down to Leith it was outside the Malmaison Hotel so at Leith Shore and they kind of started the filming and stuff. I think it was for something to do with their 5G. Started the filming and it was freezing. Yeah. So see, after about two hours of standing outside, I just fucked off and went mm-hmm. to a cafe and got rolling sausage and just went up the road. <laughs> 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 I, I didn't get paid for it either. Yeah, no, you know, you, you genuinely will be sitting about for hours and that's just to do with setting up, just just setting up really. And sometimes you'll go there for the twelve hours and you'll be on for like fifteen minutes, but you still get paid the same amount. I was acting like as if it was like I was James Bond or something to get away because every time I tried to get away, somebody's like, "Oh yeah, if you just stand here." I was like, "Oh yeah. fucking hell, man!" Like I, I just want out of here. And what I ended up doing was, um, they would be like, "Everybody walk in a circle," and it's meant to be as if you're just walking about, mm-hmm. and then I just walked, but just didn't stop, <laughs> <laughs> just kept going, and then I sat. I got a rolling sausage rolling it's gone a coffee and a diet I'm brewing I just sat in this window like with my hood up just watching everybody still doing it freezing oh God. and I don't regret it I would do it again Yeah. as we round up I want to say again after everything we've spoken about what your mum said to you mm-hmm. that you're going to have to work five times harder than white people because uh-huh. they won't look at you and tell you're an exceptional human being mm-hmm. she was depressingly right about mm-hmm. how some cerebrally impaired vermin mm-hmm. would look at you but the reality mm-hmm. is I would say you're an exceptional Scottish black man. Stuart, this has been a genuine, genuine pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on. Thank you. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another very, very, very good episode of Blethered soon. Cheers. Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and old school all on the big light Scotland's podcast network
from the Big Light Studio.